0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وخاتم النبيين محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadinin al Mi Wada ummi wa ala alihi wa sallim t Imam Muslim, rahmatullahi alayhi, relates from the noble companion Tamimuddari radiyallahu anhu that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, al nasiha, qulna liman قَالَ لِلَّهِ وَلِكِتَابِهِ وَلِرَسُولِهِ وَلِأَئِمَّةِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَعَامَّتِهِمْ Religion is nasiha. We said, for whom? He replied, for Allah, for his book and for his messenger and for the leaders of the Muslims and their common folk. I've already explained in some detail Nasihah for the first three categories, for Allah, for his Rasul Sallallahu Wasallam and for the Holy Qur'an. As for the fourth and the fifth category, wa The meaning of Nasihah for the leaders of the Muslims and their common folk is again the same thing. Genuineness, being true, being genuine, being pure, sincere, wishing well for all Muslims, wanting the best for them. Ensuring that one's relationship with all Muslims, be they they junior or senior, leaders or laity, common folk, or the leadership, that one's relationship with every Muslim is a genuine one, genuine one, a true one, a sincere one. Wishing well for the believers, wanting the best for them. And this doesn't just extend to the laity, the common folk, but it also extends to the leadership. In fact, in this hadith, Prophet Sallallahu mentions the imams, the leaders of the Muslims before the common folk. So how are we to understand nasiha for the leadership? And the leaders of the Muslims. Obviously, we have to understand this hadith in the context of the time of the Sahaba radhiyallahu anhum, when the Prophet sallallahu alaihi was addressing them. And this is very true for that period. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi had instructed them that when he appointed anyone over them or after him, when the Khulafa, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, Umar ibn al-Khattab, Uthman ibn Affan, Ali ibn Abi Talib, radiyallahu anhum that when they assumed leadership of the Muslims, And these Sahaba pledged their allegiance to them. They had to honor that bay'ah, that pledge, that oath of fealty and loyalty. And anyone that these Khulafah appointed over them in different parts of the Islamic realm, it was the duty of the believers, to listen to, to obey, to follow, not to rebel against these appointed leaders. And without doubt, there's great wisdom in that, because failure to listen, to obey, being insincere towards their leadership, for the Sahaba and the Tabi'un and the Tabi'ut Tabi'in, those who followed them, for them to be, for them to lack genuineness and sincerity and purity in their relationship, and for them to lack Nush and nasihah towards their leaders, would have meant anarchy. And there were some instances of that. Without that, one very good example of this is the khutbah of Jarir ibn Abdullah al-Bajali radiyallahu an Jarir ibn Abdullah al-Bajali radiyallahu was in Kufa and al-Mughirah ibn Shu'bah who was the governor of Kufa on behalf of Mu'awiyyat ibn Abi Sufyan, anhu he passed away. Unfortunately, Kufa had a history and a reputation of unruliness, of rebellion, and of being a very difficult population to control. And there were many instances, and rather tragic instances as well, in the history of Kufa. Ali ibn Abi Talib radiyallahu was assassinated in the city of Kufa. Right between his house and the masjid, the Jamia of Kufa. Ali anh, was assassinated there. His son, Hassan, anh, the grandson of Rasulullah. After the killing of his father, after the martyrdom of his father, Hassan appealed to the people of Kufa to remain calm, to remain composed, not to cause any trouble, not to make unreasonable demands, to remain peaceful, to strive for peace, but there were many in Kufa who began clamouring for war immediately thereafter. Hassan being the son of Ali was attempting to pursue the path of peace. He was trying to pacify and calm the situation, to defuse the situation. And yet some people refused to listen to him, to the extent that unfortunately he became the victim of their attacks. Not only verbal, but according to some reports, they even attacked his house. That was Gufa. The people of Kufa, after Hasan radiyallahu plea for peace, Hasan radiyallahu made peace with Muawiyat ibn Abi Sufyan and the others. And then he traveled to Medina. The people of Kufa agitated and invited Hussain radiallahu anh, the grandson of Rasulullah sallallahu and promised him full support. Hussein radiyallahu went to Kufa with his family members, and yet, despite all the pledges and the promises, the very same people of Kufa abandoned Hussein radiyallahu right at the last moment. This led to Hussein being abandoned and isolated and easy prey, and unfortunately he and his entire family who had accompanied him were martyred. And that's the infamous and tragic and calamitous incident of the martyrdom of Hussein on the 10th of Muharram at Garbala, and the people of Kufa had a part to play in that. So all of these things had already happened in Kufa, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas radiallahu an, one of the ten promised Jannah, and one of the close confidants of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi and trusted Sahaba radiallahu anhum and of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, Rasulillah and of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhum ajma'een. Even Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas radiyallahu an was persecuted by some of the people of Kufa. And he had to be summoned to Medina by Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu So this was the history, just, sorry, part of the history of Kufa. Al-Mughirat ibn al-Sha'bah was a very capable governor and ruler of Gufa. And when he died in 50 Hijri, again, there was a great fear and there was a great possibility that some elements in the city, in the garrison town of Gufa, would once again rise to cause trouble. Jareed ibn Abdullah al Bajali took a great risk and stood up in the masjid of Kufa, ascended the member. And Imam Bukhari relates that Jareed ibn Abdullah al Bajali rose, praised Allah heaped and lavished praise on Allah and then addressing the people said to them that I advise you, I implore you, I advise you that adhere to Adhere to the awareness the consciousness and the wariness of Allah, alone. He has no partner. Adhere to waqar and sakina, composure and tranquility, peace and serenity. and wait calmly and patiently and peacefully for your next governor, for he will soon come. And as for this governor who has just passed, لأميركم فإنه كان يحب العفو that seek forgiveness for this deceased governor of yours for he himself would love forgiveness. And then he went on to add "The oh, O people, I came to the Prophet وسلم, and I said to him, I pledge my allegiance to you for Islam. And the Prophet وسلم, stipulated a condition to me, one Mushalikulli Muslim, that along with my oath of allegiance, along with my pledge of Islam, I must pledge. To ensure nus'h, nasihah, purity, sincerity, genuineness, wishing well and wanting the best for every Muslim. So I pledge my allegiance to Rasulullah on this that I will abide by Nus and نصيحة for every Muslim. And then he said to the people, وَرَبِّ هَذَا الْمَسْجِدْ إِنِّي, اني لَنَاصِحٌ لَكُمْ that by the Lord of this masjid I am a well-wisher for you. I say what I say to you, not for any personal gain or desire, or ulterior motive. I have said what I have just said to you. Because I desire the best for you. I wish well for you. I want the best for you. I have your, I sincerely have your best interests at heart. In this one instance, jarir ibn Abdullah al-Bajli Radiallahu anhu, showed his commitment to Nasihah for both leaders and laity, for the led and the leaders, for the Umara and for the population, for the leadership and the common folk in the single instance. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam advised his followers that along with nasiha, along with nus'h, meaning being, wishing well, wanting the best, harboring good intent, seeking and desiring the best, being genuine, sincere, pure, and true towards, Allah, his book, and his messenger sallallahu a Muslim also has to have Nus'h and Nasihah with all these meanings and more towards all Muslims, leaders and laity alike, imams and followers alike. And that's why in another hadith Rasulullah sallallahu says this hadith is recorded by Imam Malik in his Muwatta and by others related by Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said inna allaha yarda lakum thalathaw wa yaskhatu thalatha yarda lakum an ta'buduhu wa la tushriku bihi shay'a wa an ta'tasimu bihablillahi jami'an wa la tafarruqu وَأَنْتُ مَنْ وَاللَّهُ اللَّهُ أَمْرَكُمْ وَيَسْخَطُ لَكُمْ قِيلَ وَقَالُ وَإِضَاعَةَ الْمَالُ وَكَثْرَةَ الْسُؤَالُ Abu Hurairah عنه, relates, the Prophet said, Allah is pleased with three things for you, and he is displeased with three things for you. He is pleased for you. That you worship only him, and that you do not associate partners with him. Number two, Allah has pleased for you that you hold on fast collectively to the rope of Allah and that you do not differ and disperse. And number three, وَأَنْ مَنْ وَاللَّهُ اللَّهُ أَمْرَكُمْ Allah is pleased for you that you have nasiha towards those whom Allah has appointed over you. And this is that part of the hadith which concerns us. But the rest of the hadith is, and he dislikes for you. And he dislikes for you. He is, Allah is displeased for you. With three things. قِيلَ وَقَالُ It was said and he said, i.e. gossip. Rumour-mongering. Gossip. Carrying tales. Repeating idle talk. He said, she said, I heard, she heard, I heard, it was said, someone said, qilah wa Allah dislikes that for you. Number two, ida'at al and the squandering of wealth. And number three, kathrat al and excessive questioning. And this excessive questioning applies to both, in monetary terms, as well as in terms of inquiry. So, as su'al, excessive questioning. Allah and His Rasul have discouraged believers from extending their hands, and their arms in asking from others, in begging from others. Allah and his Rasul have discouraged the Ummah from becoming dependent on anyone else, but rather to rise, to stand up on one's own feet, to strive, to work hard, to labor, to create wealth, to generate wealth for oneself and for others. No matter how meagre Allah and His Rasul have encouraged economic activity, the generation of wealth, the creation of wealth, production, trade, work, labour. In fact, the whole of Meccan society was mainly mercantile. It was a trading city. The Muhajirun, the Prophet was a trader. The Muhajirun, radiyallahu anhum, were traders. All of them, Abu Bakr and Umar, Uthman and Ali, radiyallahu anhum, They were all traders. And the Muhajirun were known for that. That was their whole history. So the the Prophet ﷺ encouraged the believers to create wealth, to generate wealth, to stand on one's own feet, to work hard and to earn for oneself and for others. And none of this contradicts the discouragement of wealth in the Qur'an and in the hadith. One has to understand it in context. And it's very simple. The philosophy of wealth in Islam consists of just three parts. It's a rough division, but this is just my way of explaining it. Number one, Allah and his Rasul have encouraged the believers to create wealth, to generate wealth, to engage in economic activity, to engage in labor, to rise on one's feet, to rise and stand on one's feet, not to be dependent on anyone else, to be self-reliant, to be independent, and to create and generate wealth for oneself, for others, for the whole community, for everyone. There is no question about that, and I'll elaborate on this philosophy on another occasion, inshallah. However, once that wealth has been generated. Then what does one do with that wealth? That's what Allah and and Islam have also taught us, which is, and it's actually in the same hadith, what mal and the squandering of wealth. Allah dislikes that for you. Allah dislikes the squandering of wealth. Allah dislikes a profligate person who wastes and squanders and spends wealth unnecessarily. So the philosophy of Islam, after the encouragement of the generation of wealth and after the encouragement of economic activity, is not to hoard wealth, but rather to distribute it, to share it with others. And not to cling on to it For that achieves nothing. Hoarding wealth, clinging on to wealth, deprives oneself and others from that wealth. And the third teaching of Islam about wealth is that one shouldn't become attached to wealth in such a way that it distracts one from Allah, from the remembrance of Allah, from one's true destiny, from the life of the Akhirah from the true life, from, one, from good deeds. And that wealth doesn't corrupt a person. So there's no contradiction in any of this. Islam encourages economic activity, but discourages becoming possessive of, possessed by, and obsessed with wealth. And Islam strongly condemns miserliness, stinginess, and the hoarding and amassing of wealth at the expense of others, and failure to share this wealth with others. It's a very comprehensive, very cohesive, very coherent, wholesome approach to the understanding of wealth. So, وَكَثْرَتَ السُّعَالَ excessive questioning can refer to begging and asking others for wealth and it can also refer to inquiry meaning one shouldn't persistently probe and inquire and ask questions in all fields. Of course, questioning is good, a good question is half of knowledge but this questioning has its context, its method its etiquette, its time, its place, and all within reason and within limits. The Sahaba would rarely ask questions of the Prophet Yes, of course, there are questions mentioned in the Ahadith, but these are very few in contrast to the number of companions, the opportunities they had, the time they had, as Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu Anhuma and actually many of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum relate, and this is a collective understanding from many ahadith, that the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, they wouldn't question the Prophet sallallahu excessively, far from it. And in fact, many of them would be very reluctant to do so, they would actually eagerly await the arrival of some strangers or visitors from out of the city who were given special dispensation and special concessions and who were treated slightly differently in the hope that they would ask the Prophet ﷺ questions and the other Sahaba anhum would benefit from this questioning and answering. Anyway, the main part of the hadith is that concerns us, that the Prophet ﷺ said. Allah likes, Allah is pleased with three things for you, and he dislikes and he is displeased with three things for you. And the third of the three things which Allah likes and which Allah is pleased with is waantuna. And in fact, if you look at the three, so important, number one, that Allah is pleased for you that you do not worship anyone but Allah and you do not associate partners with him. Number two, that you hold on fast. Collectively to the rope of Allah well, and that you do not dis- differ and disperse. And number three, sihu amrakum, that you harbor nush and for those whom Allah has appointed over you. Therein lies peace, prosperity and security, and safety, and tranquility, and stability. Otherwise, as has been seen, when the population, or even some elements in the population, lack this نصح النصيحة, that they do not seek the best, they do not wish well. They are not sincere and true and genuine in their relationship with their leadership, then this can lead to fitna and facade, strife and corruption and sedition and division and anarchy, even, lawlessness and anarchy. And there are many examples throughout Muslim history are of this and this is exactly what the prophet sallallahu warned the ummah against so nasiha applies not just to allah and his rasul sallallahu and the book of allah but also to the leadership and the meaning of leadership it applies to all muslims leaders and laity alike and leaders will include not just leaders in Governments, leaders in governance, but also leaders in all other fields too, in knowledge. Anyone who is senior, senior in authority, senior in knowledge, senior in position, senior in age. Recognising their position, wishing well for them, wanting the best for them. Wanting for them what we want and desire for ourselves is part of this nasiha. And in fact, we shouldn't think that. Why should we wish well or desire the best for those who have assumed positions over us, Mm -hmm. like even in the community? Those who are seniors and elders and who have adopted and assumed positions of influence and authority. And whether we like it or not, they are seen to be part of the leadership. We shouldn't think that, why should I wish well for them? Why should I harbour sincerity and genuineness towards them? Why should I bear any goodwill and have this Nus'ha and Nasiha? Well, this actually helps us. It's better for us. Imam Ibn Majah, rahmatullahi alayhi, relates a hadith in his Sunan, and so do others, from Zayd ibn Thabit, radiyallahu that the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi sallam, said, Thalathun, لَا يُغِلُّ عَلَيْهِنَّ قَلْبُ عُمْرِءٍ مُسْلِمٍ إِخْلَاسُ الْعَمَلِ لِلَّهِ وَالنُّصْحُ Muslimin الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَلُزُومَ جَمَاعَتِهِمْ That there are three things upon which a heart, the heart of a Muslim does not hold rancor, hatred, malice, or treachery. This means that anyone who adopts these three traits, through the blessing of these three traits, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will cleanse his heart. Allah will ensure that his heart will not be affected by ghil. Meaning, malice and hatred. And you see, the wording of the hadith, it can be pronounced, "la I won't go into the details, but it incorporates, the word incorporates all of the meanings I've just mentioned. Malice, hatred, rancor, deception, treachery, all of these. Through the barakah of these three deeds, Allah will ensure that his heart is not affected by... Rancor, malice, hatred and treachery. And what are those three things? Prophet ﷺ said, three things. لا يغل قلب مسلم Upon which the heart of a, of a Muslim, of a believer, will not harbor rancor, hatred and treachery. So what are those three things? إخلاص العمل لله. Making one's deeds sincere for the sake of Allah. One. Number two. لِأِمَّةِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ النصح, The same Nasiha that we are talking about. For whom? For the leaders of the Muslims. And number three. And clinging on to their group, meaning the group of the Muslims. So, remaining part of the group. And in fact, if you look at the other hadith which I mentioned earlier, those three things are more or less same. The hadith of Imam Malik in his modda, from Abu Hurairah radiyaAllahu'an, inna Allah yardaa lakum thalatha, Allah is pleased with three things for you. And what are those three things? That you worship, no one but Allah, you do not associate partners with him. And in this hadith, ikhlasul amali lillah," making one's deeds sincere for the sake of Allah. And what was the second thing mentioned in that hadith? And that you cling on to the rope of Allah collectively and that you do not differ and disperse. And the third thing mentioned in this hadith is and adhering to their group. And the third thing mentioned in that hadith and the second thing mentioned here is. وَأَنْ تُنَاسِحُ مَنْ وَاللَّهُ اللَّهُ أَمْرَكُمْ وَأَنْ تُنَاسِحُ And that you are, you harbor نُسْحَ النَّصِيحَ towards those whom Allah has appointed over you. And in this hadith, Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the second thing he mentions is وَالنُسْحُ لِأَئِمَّةِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ and نُسْح for the leaders of the Muslims. Anyone who does these three things, Allah will actually cleanse and purify his heart of rancor, malice, hatred, and even deception and treachery. That's what the Prophet has said. So it's actually good for us, wishing well, even for those who are in positions of power, influence, and authority, wishing well for them, bearing goodwill towards them, being sincere in one's relationship with them, being genuine and true, doesn't harm us. It helps us. Now, I'm only elaborating on the hadith. This is no blanket approval. or endorsement of those individuals who are unworthy of leadership, or who assume positions of power, influence, and leadership, and abuse them, and who are guilty of Abusing their position and authority. So, everything I've said is just by way of explaining the hadith. This is what the Prophet ﷺ said, and this is our understanding. It's no blanket endorsement or approval of any malicious or nefarious activity on the part of anyone who themselves don't abide by the teachings of Allah and his Rasul ﷺ and who abuse them, those who are insincere in their own positions and behave insincerely will unfortunately not attract sincerity themselves. So this is just my explanation of what the muslimi and the leaders of the Muslims. And as I said, this this. The meaning of leadership or leaders of the Muslims is in every field. So, those who are junior, senior to us in positions of authority, in influence, in knowledge, in age, even. The Prophet has taught us to recognize people's positions. In fact, the same Jaleed ibn Abdullah al Bajali. He was a lead of his people when he came to visit the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam He came at the head of a hundred and fifty of his tribesmen, hundred and fifty and he gave bay'ah to rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and those who came with him gave bay'ah and he was their leader a leader of 150 of his tribesmen he was a remarkable companion very handsome jarir ibn abdullah al-bajali radiyallahu was very handsome umar ibn al-khattab radiyallahu used to say of him yusufa al ummah that Jarir ibn Abdullah al-Bajali is the Yusuf of this ummah, and he was a man of great charm, of wisdom, of beautiful character and humility. So much so that when he arrived. And he came to visit the Prophet. He arrived at the rear of the gathering and there was no space. And no one moved for him. The Prophet saw him. Rasulullah wrapped his cloak, folded it, and threw it at him and said, Sit on it. And then he announced to the people, إِذَا أَتَاكُمْ كَرِيمُ قَوْمٍ فَأَكْرِمُوهُ That when the nobleman of a people comes to you, then honour him. When the honoured one of a people comes to you, honour him. So the Prophet ﷺ honoured him. And in one narration, he threw a pillow at him. But what did Jareel ibn Abdullah al bajali do? He sat on the floor. He did not sit on the cloak or the pillow. He sat on the floor. And the Prophet Sallallahu said to him, you will never seek arrogance or high handedness or corruption on earth. And indeed, he was very humble. Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi relates in his Sahih and so Imam Muslim that Anas ibn Malik عنه, says, I was traveling with, I was traveling on a journey with Jarir ibn Abdullah al-Bajali. And he would actually serve me, wait upon me, attend to my needs, do things for me, do my khidma. He would serve me. And I would plead with him, please, now imagine Jarir ibn Abdullah al Bajali is a leader of his people. In fact, soon after he embraced Islam, the Prophet made him a commander. And when he made him a commander, instantly he went out at the head of 150 cavalry. That was Jarir ibn Abdullah al Bajali, he was a warrior even in the famous Battle of Al-Qadisiyyah, in which under the leadership of Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas, the Muslims scored a decisive victory against the Sassanid Persian army. Jareed ibn Abdullah al-Bajli anh, was the commander of a whole division in that army. And he actually went on to conquer two famous cities. One of them was Hamdan in modern day Iran. That city was actually conquered by Jarir ibn Abdullah al Bajli, and he was even appointed governor there. So here was Jarir ibn Abdullah al Bajli, a leader, a warrior, a commander, senior in age, senior in position. And he is serving Anas ibn Malik عن, on a journey. And Anas ibn Malik, عن, by, all, by most estimates, he was only 18 years old, approximately, when the Prophet وسلم, passed away. At the most, he may have been 20, because when the Prophet وسلم, arrived in Al Madinatul Munawwarah, according to some narration, he was 8 years old. Some suggestions are he may have been 10. Either way, uh, when the prophet sallallahu left this world anas bin malik radiyallahu would have been approximately 18 years of age so where is anas bin malik radiyallahu an where is jarir ibn abdullah al-bajali radiyallahu an and jarir radiyallahu an was serving him attending to his needs waiting on him so and Sulaymalik used to plead with him, please don't do this. Why are you doing this? And Jarir's reply, I saw the Ansar serving the Prophet Sallallahu So I took an oath that I would never accompany any of the Ansar except that I would serve them. Allahu Akbar. Th- this is another example of his, not just humility, but, for every Muslim His desire to wish well, to want the best, to harbour sincerity and genuineness towards every Muslim. So, the Prophet taught the Sahaba عنهم, to recognise the worth and the position of everyone. And this is something we should honour those who are senior it. Senior in age, senior in position, senior in. Now, again, I'm just explaining the hadith. Those who deserve that honor, it, it, this is no blanket endorsement of anyone, but rather, for instance, those who are senior to us in age, in knowledge, to respect them, to recognize their worth. To bear goodwill towards them, this is the teaching of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So much so that Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahmatullah relates a hadith in his Musnad from Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Al-'As radhiyallahu anhumah that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "ليس منا ملم يرحم صغيرنا ويعرف حق كبيرنا." He is not one of us who does not show mercy to the young amongst us, and who does not recognize the right of the senior amongst us. And Imam Tirmidhi, rahmatullahi lay, relates a similar hadith from Anas bin Malik, radiyallahu an. And on that occasion, Anas radiyallahu an says, once an elderly man came to visit the Prophet, sallallahu when he arrived, the people were a bit slow in creating space for him. Not that they didn't make space for him, but they were a bit slow in doing so. So instantly the Prophet ﷺ said, He is not one of us, who does not show mercy to our young, and who does not revere, the wording in that hadith of Anus Ibn Manik is, and who does not Revere our seniors. Respect for our elders is part of the teaching of Rasulullah So this is part of nasiha. To recognize and to respect, to recognize a rank and to respect and to revere the senior ones amongst us. And to show love, compassion, and mercy to those who are junior to us. This is the teaching of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Moving on to the final part of the hadith of nasiha, where the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam says, "Wali that nasiha is for the leaders of the Muslims as well as their common folk, meaning all Muslims. So how do we understand that? Very simple. Again. Wishing well, wanting the best, harboring sincerity, being true, being genuine towards all believers. And one very good example of this is what the Prophet wasallam said, as related by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim and others, from the same Anas ibn Malik, radiyallahu لا يؤمن أحدكم. One of you does not believe until he loves, until he desires, he wishes, and he wants for his brother that which he wishes, wants, and desires, and loves for himself. To have that parity of wanting. The same for others. As for oneself, that is part of naseha. That is part of that sincerity towards others. It's very difficult to achieve, but it's something we should strive for. Because this is, this is part of our religion. In fact, it's such a major component of our religion. This is nasiha. And again, who better to display that nasiha, that wanting the best for others, than Jareed ibn Abdullah al Bajali radiyallahu anhu. And why do I keep mentioning Jalil ibn Abdullah al Bajli in this context? It's because his is the most famous hadith about nasihah for every Muslim. Of course, the, the main hadith I'm commenting on is the hadith of Tamim al Dari. But about the pledge of nasihah, Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, and others relate from Jalil ibn Abdullah al Bajli who said, بَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ عَلَىٰ شَهَادَةِ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَأَنَّ مُحَمَّدَ رَسُولُ اللَّهُ وَإِقَامِ وَالسَّمْعِ لِكُلِّ مُسْلِمُ That I pledged my allegiance to the Prophet ﷺ on Islam on the testimony that there is no God except Allah and that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah and on the establishing of salah, and on the giving of zakah. And, was and on listening and obeying. And finally, one nushi muslim, and nasiha for every muslim. And as I mentioned in that earlier hadith of Bukhari again, where he, ascent, where he spoke to the people of Kufa, he said, I, came to the Prophet وسلم, and I pledged my allegiance of Islam and what did the Prophet وسلم, stipulate as a condition? He made he imposed a condition on me separately and specifically. So what was that condition? Kulli Muslim. He made it a condition of my bayah. He made it a condition of my pledge to him. He made it a condition of my Islam that along with my salah and my zakah and my obedience to Allah and his messenger sallallahu I must bear نصيحة for every Muslim. This is why I keep mentioning the hadith of Jareed radiyallahu and he, Allahu Akbar, he abided by that. He adhered to it till the end of his days. Till the end of his days, Allahu Akbar. Even when there were disagreements amongst the Muslims, disagreements amongst the Sahaba an withdrew. He would not take sides. He would not support one against the other. He wouldn't say anything. He withdrew. Until the end of his days, he lived in isolation worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? He did not want to harm anyone. He did not, he wanted nothing but the best for everyone. That was Jari radiyallahu an. So before I explain one or two examples, well, before I give one or two examples of Jari radiyallahu an's own behaviours regarding nasiha for every Muslim, It's the right of every Muslim, let me just explain one more thing, that it's the right of every Muslim, over the other, that the other should be sincere towards him, genuine, and bear goodwill towards him, and wish well for him and want the best for him. And to be pure in his relationship, it's actually the right of every Muslim. Every Muslim has a right Over you, over me, over us. That we are sincere towards them in our relationship with them. We are genuine towards them. It's not just a virtue. It's not just a commendable thing. It's actually their right over us. We have to do it. And that's why Prophet says in a hadith of Bukhari and Muslim, there are five rights of a Muslim over another Muslim. There are many rights, but on this occasion, the Prophet Sallallahu mentioned these five. The rights of a Muslim over another Muslim is, one, returning the Salaam, visiting the ill. Accepting the invitation, what thehmlah, and replying with a prayer of mercy towards one, Atis, who sneezes and then praises Allah. And also, one of them is the following of the funeral. All of these are important things. We should give salam, spread salam, return salam. We should visit the ill. We should take time out. Again, this hadith is beautiful and it's related to nasihah in that we should, the whole of nasihah is about being selfless and not being selfish, not wanting the best for just oneself. Wanting the best for others. Not wishing well only for oneself, but wishing well for others. Not just looking out for oneself, but looking out for others too. SubhanAllah, even today, someone sent me a quote. You may have seen it. That a teacher. release many balloons in a classroom. Many, many balloons. And they had the names of the children written on the balloons. And then the teacher said, everyone find their own balloon with their name on it. The pupils, were children, they were struggling. Because so many balloons, how are you going to find So, despite searching, very few, if any, actually found their own balloon with their name on But then the teacher said, another experiment, whenever any of you finds a balloon with a name, then instead of looking for your own balloon, Any balloon that you find with a name on, you give that balloon to the person whose name is on that balloon. And within a short while, everyone held their balloon with their name on. And then the teacher said, the moral is, if you look only for your own happiness, you may not find it. But if you work to make others happy, in their happiness, you will find your own happiness. And that's very true. We wish only the best for ourselves in this very selfish, narrow-minded way. We look out only for ourselves. We wish well only for ourselves in doing so. Sometimes joy, happiness, accomplishment, all elude us. And in fact, this is not just a the moral of this story with children, scientists have proven through research, behavioral scientists, that many people find great joy and happiness in making others happy. People who volunteer, people who give in charity sincerely, they feel immense pleasure. They feel joy, a sense of accomplishment, achievement. Bringing happiness to others, bringing joy to others, allows us to bask in the warmth of that joy, pleasure and happiness too. And this is what the Prophet has said, one of you cannot believe until he desires for others that which he desires for himself. And in explanation of this hadith, giving salam, returning salam, visiting the ill. We shouldn't just worry about our own time. I haven't got time. Create time for others. Go out of your way. Make time for others. Go to visit the ill. That will make you, it will bring so many benefits. It'll bring joy to others. And when it brings joy to others, Imam Muslim and others relate a hadith on the Day of Judgment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say to his servant, مَرِطُّ فَلَمْ Thou ta'udni." That, oh my servant, I was ill, but you did not come to visit. The servant will say, O Allah, how can I visit you? And Allah will say in reply, Fullah, such and such servant of mine was ill. Had you visited him, you would have found me there. O my servant, istat'amtuq falam tut'imni. And then later, istasqaytuq falam tasqini. I asked for food of you, you did not feed me. I asked you for water, you did not give me to drink. S- servants will say the same, oh Allah, how can I, you are the Lord of the worlds. How can you be ill, you are the Lord of the worlds. How can uh, I give food to you? How can I give water to you? You are the Lord of the worlds. Allah's reply will be, you would have, such a servant of mine was hungry, he asked you for food. Had you fed him? you would have found its reward with me. Funa was thirsty. Had you given him water to drink, you would have found its reward with me. So visiting the ill ensures you bring joy to them, bring happiness to them. You bring joy and happiness to them. That will create joy and happiness in you. One benefit, you will be rewarded Furthermore, seeing others in a less privileged position, seeing others who are ill, invalid, disabled, incapable of doing things, will remind you of how lucky and how fortunate you are. And that will make you grateful. It will make you feel positive. It will make you feel humble. Positivity without arrogance. Positivity with humility. All of that has so many benefits, and that's just through Iyadatul Marid, visiting the ill, what Tiba'ul Jana' is, and following the funerals. Take time out. Go. Join a funeral. It'll bring the reality of life to you. And then also praying for one who sneezes and praise himself, you, and praises Allah. All of these are duties. These are five. Then in the same hadith, as related by others, there's an on some occasions, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said six. So these same five, and what's the sixth one? So in one hadith of Tirmidhi, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, That the Duty or the right of a Muslim over another Muslim is that the second Muslim harbors nus'h and nasiha and remains sincere and pure for the Muslim, whether he is present or absent. This shows that nasiha is not about just advice, but rather, because how can you advise someone who's not present? But rather being sincere towards them, being genuine towards them. Wishing well for them, not just in their presence to flatter them, but even in their absence, sincerely wishing the best for them. That is the right of a Muslim over another. Anyway, I end with just two, three examples of Jalil ibn Abdullah, and his own <coughs> application of this teaching of Rasulullah sallallahu he, How he would remain a well-wisher for everyone. Wishing and desiring the best. When he would, even in buying and selling, Imam Abu Dawud relates that whenever Jaree ibn Abdullah al-Bajri radiyallahu would buy or sell anything, And he would say to the seller or buyer that what we take from you is more beloved to us than what we give. It's obvious if you you want to sell something, then you're willing to give this away and you want something better that you feel is better in return, otherwise you would never be giving this away. So, out of the two, which is more desirable? What you are receiving. Whether it's goods in barter or a price in payment. So whether selling or buying, An would say to everyone, what we take from you is more beloved to me. What I take from you is more beloved to me than what I'm giving you. So you fix the price. Because this is my interest, you fix the price, Allahu Akbar. And it's also mentioned in another narration that when Jareed would ever sell anything, he'd actually place the products before him and then he'd go through all the faults and the defects, saying, pointing them out. There's this wrong with it, there's that wrong with it, there's this deficiency. So people tell him that why do you do this? If you carry on like this no one will buy anything off you. So Jaleel's reply would be, I pledge to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi li kulli muslim that I will be, I will harbour nus'h and nasiha for every Muslim. And there's that famous story about Jarir radiyallahu related by Imam Tabarani, rahimahullah, in his mu'ajim. That Jarir radiyallahu wanted to buy a horse. So he saw the horse and then he sent his attendant that go and purchase the horse, his agent. He went. He began haggling. And he haggled 300 dirhams. But the seller wasn't content and he, he was adamant that it's worth more than 300 the agent wasn't willing to give more than 300 so the agent finally said to him that do you mind if we go to the actual buy so the seller said fine let's go so they both came to Jaleed so the attendant said to him oh Jaleed I've Haggled and negotiated a price of 300 for the horse but he's not accepting it. He's adamant that it's worth more. So Jaleel Allah immediately said to him, Indeed, it's worth more. How much do you say? And then Jaleel r.a. kept on raising the price. 500, 600, 700. And then eventually he purchased it from him for seven or 800. Allahu Akbar. That's more than twice of what his agent had haggled and was willing to offer. And then he actually turned to the agent and to his attendant and said, why did you do this? I sent you to purchase the horse for me. And you continued to negotiate and haggle with him until he came to me and he ended up telling me that, look, he's only offering me 300. Do you see this horse worth... Being worth only 300. So he said, Why did you do that? When I have given my pledge to Rasulullah, one kull Muslim, that I will harbor Nus'h and nasiha, i.e., wishing well, desiring the best, wanting the best, and purity and sincerity towards every Muslim. And these are just some examples. Of Jalil ibn Abdullah al Bajri radiallahu and understanding and application of this beautiful hadith. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to follow in their footsteps. May Allah make us amongst those who do have Nus'h and nasiha in their hearts for Allah, for His Book, for His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, for all Muslims, leaders and laity alike. وعلى آله وصحبه اجمعين سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك اشهد ان لا اله الا انت استغفرك واتوب اليك